0: During a war, if there's a big problem with the command, that's what the president should do. It should should replace the command.
1: So Zaluzhny was replaced by Alexander Sivsky.
0: Uh, this kind of more Soviet-style general. Zaluzhny was
1: high ratings.
0: Basically, the the main positions in the general staff, which is the, the top leadership of, of the Ukrainian military, were almost all replaced. I think part of Zelensky's logic was to have this kind of meritocratic rotation where people who showed themselves to be really competent brigade commanders on the ground, that they could have some upward
1: mobility. Hello everyone, and welcome to This Week in Ukraine, a show where the newsroom of the Kyiv Independent dives into Ukraine's biggest events of the week and explains them in just under 30 minutes. I'm your host, Marsha Lavrova. Today, just days after Ukraine's top military leadership was replaced, we're looking into the new faces now leading the country's war effort. I'm speaking with the Kyiv Independent reporter Francis Farrell, who is joining us online since he's traveling to Munich for a security conference. Francis, welcome to the show, thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, good to be back first time this year.
1: Before we go on, I would like to remind you guys to subscribe to the Kyiv Independent wherever you're listening to this show, like us, rate us, leave your comments. It will only take you a few seconds, but it really goes a long way for us. Thanks to your support, we can ensure that more people stay informed about the news in Ukraine. Francis, I'm sure you'll agree that most important news stories this week and the previous week are those concerning the news appointees within the top military leadership. Who is replacing who, what's their previous experience, and so on. But before we get into all of that, can you tell us where did this all begin?
0: There are two things, two main things here. First of all, the war has gone on for almost two years now, and it's not in a very happy place for Ukraine, objectively. Russia is attacking. It's attacking in large scale offensives around Avdiivka, around Kupiansk, around Marinka, in a few other places around Bakhmut as well, and slowly making some progress. Right now, as we, as we record this, there's actually a very, very critical situation in Avdiivka right now. Yeah. The city has been basically cut in half by, by Russian forces. Ukraine's sending its third assault brigade in and who knows what will happen there but it's it's tough but perhaps even more dangerously for ukraine we have all this news uh from abroad especially from the congress about uh, you know military uh aid being blocked by by the republicans to ukraine and i was on the front line just about a week or two ago working with Uh, some of the artillery crews using these uh, NATO artillery shells and they were already using their reserves. They were slowly running out. They were forced to make very difficult decisions about when to shoot and when not to shoot and how much to shoot. And so these two things together paint a pretty uh, bleak portrait of the war. So that potentially already raises the question of maybe some changes are required to to do things better on the Ukrainian side. As tension slowly built, at first there was all denial, um, but... Uh, eventually we got this leaked news that Zelensky had uh, basically requested Zeluzny to step down on his own uh, but Zeluzny refused and everyone attacked the world's most reputable journalists internationally and Ukraine for reporting this but and saying that it was it was a Russian disinformation operation or something, but just 10 days later, of course, uh, that turned out to actually have been true. And Zelensky ended up announcing these big changes to the military leadership. The most important one, of course, was the replacing of Zeluzhny with the ground forces commander, Alexander Sirsky. But, but Zelensky didn't just switch those two. He made some larger changes in the top command including basically all the top positions so so zelensky did kind of sell this as some kind of uh rotation some kind of you know refreshing of the leadership which objectively makes sense um in some ways but it's just hard to tell the the kind of real motivation whether this was more about politics or or really there was some um you know, strong logical line between that, but we'll we'll go into it more, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, it seems like Zelensky and his administration weren't happy with Ukraine's progress in this war and thought that replacing generals was the necessary response, or at least that's what said officially, as you said yourself. But that's not the whole story, right?
0: It, it's a very tricky one because on one hand, uh, you had you know it's completely within the right of the president to do this that's his constitutional right and during a war if there's a big problem with the command that's what the president should do it should should replace the command but but here it's made more complicated a because we don't know the the whole story um, there could be some some really good reasons here. B, um, it's hard to really single out Zeluzny for responsibility for what's going on in the war. I mean, so much depends on so many outside factors. Um, you know, he doesn't make big strategic decisions on his own. Well, he didn't uh, when he was commander. They were made by the whole general staff together with the president. They all met at this thing called the Stavka regular meeting together with other um important security officials like the SBU and and Budanov and uh the National Guard so at the end of the day um it, it's it's hard to say that he it was his fault that the counteroffensive failed or something like that it it's not really really correct but again the third reason um, as we understand it, is this political enmity between the two. And you know, we, we saw that when Zelensky wrote his article for The Economist as uh, calling the war a stalemate, and Zelensky was really not happy with that. He came out in another public interview saying that military leaders shouldn't involved in politics even though it was just uh, an assessment of the frontline situation and you know from then it, it just got worse it was made worse by the mobilization issue which is a constant objective source of tension between the military leadership and the civilian leadership because the military needs so many hundreds of thousands of of men And the, it's the civilian leadership's job to provide them, which is a very, very unpopular decision and is going to cause a lot of tension in society and and the economy. So, uh, things weren't going, going so well. And yeah, I mean, sources, unnamed sources often claim that Zelensky saw. Uh, basically, a political threat in in the figure of Zelensky, which is a bit strange on one hand and not really correct in times of war when elections are cancelled anyway and people shouldn't be dealing with internal politics. But you know, people do have their eye on one eye on on their approval ratings around this time. And there was a, a an opinion poll that came out in September in December.
1: Yeah, I remember that. Where
0: they. They included Zeluzny for the first time, and he had 88%, whereas Zelensky was on the decline and at 62%. Whether or not it was really all political or there were some other really genuine reasons, it is really important that the president civilian leadership of the country who also holds the title of Supreme Commander-in-Chief and the actual Commander-in-Chief. They, they need to get along. They need to be able to work together.
1: So Zeluzhny was replaced by Alexander Sivsky, a general who's been in charge of Ukraine's ground troops since 2019. Can you tell us more about this general, his career, his leadership style, and why was he the one to take this crucial position?
0: yeah so one one kind of controversial fact about serious is that he's actually born in russian uh, in russia um uh, and and he and he but he moved to to Ukraine, Soviet Ukraine at the time, uh very early in his childhood, although he kind of has a funny accent. But uh, yeah, the most important thing to understand about Sirski in my opinion, is that yeah, he's been the commander of the ground troops. And so when you have a war, which is primarily a land war, huge armies on each side, mechanized brigades, tanks, infantry, artillery, that all is part of the ground war, that's part of the ground troops. And at the same time, he's also being in the command of the Hortitsa kind of operational division of of the front line. Um, so that runs from the north of the Russian border, so like around Kharkiv Oblast through Kupiansk, uh, down past Liman, and then Bakhmut, and then finishing just south of Bakhmut, and then another. Another kind of operational area starts, which goes through Avdiivka, Vukledar, and the southern front line. That's a separate one. It was responsible for maybe the most important battle of the war, the, the defeat of Russia outside Kiev um, and, and northern Ukraine. Um, also, um, for masterminding and, and executing the counteroffensive in Kharkiv, which I think blew everyone away with, with how effective it was. And then we have Bakhmut. Um, and so with Bakhmut, that's when he starts to become more controversial. Mm. Uh, He he has this reputation maybe of, of being this kind of more Soviet style general with, you know, potentially less of a kind of regard for the importance of the lives of ordinary men, you know, making decisions. to to hold the line here at all costs or to assault this position at all costs. But it's worth understanding at the same time that when you're dealing with the military and you're dealing with uh, commanders and soldiers from all different ranks, like they have their own section of, of what they can see and what they're responsible for potentially. Whereas um, at the very top, The very top high commanders um, in the general staff—they're making strategic decisions um, that don't refer to the the tactical level, but they need to kind of encompass the the war as a whole. And so, I remember this was the very first episode we ever shot uh, on this podcast, which was about the decision to stay in Bakhmut, even when it was almost surrounded. Um, You know, the Russians were firing Mm. on the only road that could go in. And Sirsky decided, well, Sirsky together with Zaluzhny and and Zelensky, he didn't do it on his own. Um, They decided to stay in Bakhmut. On one hand, that was, you know, holding it for several months more was costly, very costly for, for Ukrainian forces. On the other hand, people often forget that it was that decision which basically bled out the forces of, uh, Wagner, mm-hmm. the mercenary group, which was the only and really effective, uh, attacking assault force in, in the Russian military. So I don't want to make a final decision on that. Um, some people have defended him. Some people have attacked him and, and it's impossible. It's impossible to say, but it's worth remembering that this broader idea of responsibilities is a strange one when Everyone is working together in a, in a team, Zelensky, Zeluzny, and, and Sirski. And no one person can just decide everything on their own.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky position to be in. It's, you know, you're literally making decisions on many people's lives. And we, as you said yourself, Zaluzny was basically the most loved official in the country with really high ratings. So, how did the public receive the news? How did they react to Sirsky per se?
0: After the decision came, um I think it's fair to say that the overall uh, immediate kind of emotional reaction was more negative. So people in- indeed really loved Zeluzny. He was he was a popular figure. He was this kind of Big, uh, kind of quietly charismatic, uh, kind of almost father figure to, to the military and, and to Ukraine as a whole. I remember I was at his press conference just a week after Zel- uh, Zelensky's and I was almost like, you know, uh, under the Zeluzny effect as well. You <laughs> know, I mean, the way he speaks to you is, is really like just, just friendly and to the point. Um,
1: but Zeluzhny and Sirsky were not the only two people that were reshuffled. There were a lot of other people who have been changed.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of these people. And for people who are not deeply kind of knowledgeable about, about the Ukrainian military, um, in advance, they would have been completely no names. Whether you're in Ukraine or you're from outside Ukraine, basically the the main positions in the general staff, which is the the top leadership of of the Ukrainian military, were almost all replaced. Um, it's worth remembering here that uh, part of the logic behind these changes uh, was that, and this is. Straight out of Zelensky's mouth. Mm-hmm. He wanted to have a basically a more streamlined uh, transfer, a kind of rotation, not only of personnel, but of experience and ideas between the very top command and the front line. So if you can just imagine, you have the basic unit of the Ukrainian army, which is the brigade, which is several thousand people, and they're moved to different parts on the front line. Sometimes they're split up. But, you know, those brigade commanders and and sometimes even the battalion commanders underneath them, those are the ones who are really going to have a good idea of of that area and what's going on there and what the the key problems are. Uh, Whereas someone in the very, very top, they're busy with these really tricky strategic decisions and they just might not get the most important information filtered up to them all the time about about kind of ongoing issues that could be fixed from from their level. Um, So that's why I think part of Zelensky's logic was to have this kind of meritocratic rotation where people who showed themselves to be really competent brigade commanders on the ground, that they could have some upward um, mobility and kind of use their, use their skills in the very high command. So there were a few others like that, a few other brigade commanders of like famous air assault brigades uh, becoming uh, new high officials in the general staff. The one strange one, and which was quite uh, controversial, is the new commander of the territorial defense, <clears throat> a guy called, uh, let me get the name right, uh, Igor uh, Um He
1: was involved in dispersal of peaceful protests and during Euromaidan in 2014, right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, not to get too deep into this guy, but he, he was uh, the head of one of the main training centers in, in the Ukrainian military called Dysna back in the early 2000s, back in a time when the Ukrainian military was still pretty Soviet and um, had a lot of issues. And then he became the commander of one of the divisions of the internal so-called internal troops it's again a very soviet um thing that was since disbanded uh, in the interior ministry so basically like an internal national guard ready to defend the state against uh uh the people revolutions and protests and that's what happened so he was involved um in the dispersion of of protests and often maybe even uh violent actions of of the special police and the internal troops during the maidan revolution he you know he even gave an interview uh about it at the time but you know i guess over it was strange that someone someone like that who was defending Yanukovych is now in this important role. But if you read more about him, people say that, well, he was one of the the good ones out of out of this system. And he was just a um, very uh to the point uh business like person, like
1: following very
0: them. very typical, yeah. yeah, military guy following orders. And in fact, on the very last days, um of of the maidan where people were actually shot uh, apparently he was trying to keep his his own internal troops out of it but i i can't I can't say say for sure but but yeah it's it's again what this all goes back into is this idea that what what is going on here are we are we reforming are we turning the military you know in a progressive direction well yeah that's or- what i wanted
1: to ask you like what do you make of this mixed group of people. I mean, some of it seems like a potentially good progress. Do you think it's going to, how is it going to change the future of warfare for Ukrainian forces?
0: Yeah, um, it, it remains to be seen. Uh, I think, I think the best guess probably is that um the change there won't be either negative or, or positive change uh in in the way that some people are either hoping for or fearing for and more or less the inertia of the system will will continue to more or less keep the like, Ukrainian military looking the same way it, it does you know there are things to keep an eye out for especially um Zelensky's announcement of the drone forces um and you know people like Sukarevsky coming up and uh, as i always love to talk about uh, to see whether um, ukraine will get its act together in fortifying the front line because yeah. that's what everyone is saying right now in 2024 it's going to be very tough uh it's going to be it's going to be tough if the us ammunition does arrive it's going to be ridiculously tough if it doesn't arrive uh so the most important thing is is to defend as effectively as possible to kind of Stabilize. preserve the the lives of your own forces, your own troops, and, and inflict maximum damage to the enemy. And Sirsky, to his credit, he actually admitted this um, very openly in, in a recent interview. I think it was actually recorded before he was appointed, but he said that, yep, it is what it is. Ukraine is transferring to a defensive posture. Um and they, they need to fortify and they need to get the upper hand in the drone war. So these are the things we're going to keep an eye on. Um, you know, this new leadership is, is probably since Zelensky appointed them. The one positive thing is that we're not going to have these constant rumors and scandals about, about political competition between the two. And, uh, yeah, we can just, we can just hope that, that they, they get on with the job and, 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 Do their honest best.
1: Thank you so much, Francis. Thank you for, you know, structurizing this for us and good luck at the Munich Security Conference. And thanks for your time.
0: It's been a pleasure. See you later.
1: You can find this show on YouTube and all audio platforms every Friday. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and comment wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Please consider supporting the Cave Independent by becoming a member of our community. You can do that at Kaveindependent.comslash membership, or you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Thank you for listening.